Well, good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. You know, we're singing these songs, Worthy is the Lamb. And I just thought, let's just take a minute. If you're like me, you've had a long week. You've been doing a lot of stuff. Things have gone on. Let's just take a minute and just be silent. Just think about Jesus. Think about God. You know, again, we always have these agendas to do, and we come to church with a to-do also. But let's just take a minute, as it says in his word, be still and know that I am God. So just bow your heads. Just in silence, just think about Jesus. Worthy is Jesus. He doesn't need anything from us, but he just wants a relationship with us. God, thank you for loving us so deeply. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing so much that we could be reconciled back to God. Thank you that you don't give us a list of to-dos to be right with you, but that your greatest desire is that we know you. Your greatest desire is that we have a relationship with you. That's what we were made for. We were made to worship you in loving relationship. Thank you. Holy Spirit, connect with us this morning, please, where we need it. We know that you don't need us, you don't need our worship, but we need to worship. So stir our hearts to worship you and be glorified and honored as we praise with our lips while we sing, as we praise with our hearts and our minds as we listen to your word. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I was going to ask you, you and I are sitting down over a cup of coffee, and this is one of those things I like to do is, you know, tell me about you or, or give me your story. If I said, who are you how would you describe yourself? Think about that. Who are you? Would you say, I'm a Nevadan? Is that part of, part of who you are? I was born and raised here. I have my identity in, you know, maybe I'm from Fallon. My identity is in alfalfa. Or, um, I, I'm a police officer. You know, I'm, my identity is in being a cop. Or my identity is in being an athlete. Or, or uh, uh, you students, maybe your identity is being a nerd, which is a good identity to have. But, but you, know, you remember being in junior high and high school and that search for your identity, where are you going to fit? I remember in junior high trying the, the skating thing and, you know, and like, which group are you going to lump into? And kind of the rest of life, it's still similar, isn't it? We identify ourselves certain ways. We describe ourselves certain ways. And the cool thing about being a Christian is Jesus tells us who are, what our identity is. Our identity is found in Him. We're, we're starting this series, or we're second week of the series, Building a Life Worth Living. Last week we looked at the way to build a life worth living is to build it on the foundation of Jesus Christ and nothing else. You build it on Jesus Christ and then you follow Him. And our big idea last week is that we, because of Jesus, can live in faith, not in fear. We know the end of the story. We know Jesus is going to come back. We know that his death on the cross gave us life if we place our faith in him. We know that when he returns, we get new bodies and it's all restored. So we can now walk in faith, not fear. Because as he says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, Again, with this series, Building a Life Worth Living, we could go all over. And, and I, I struggled a little bit narrowing it down to just five weeks because we could spend a week on the Bible, right? How do you build a life worth living? It's built on the Word of God, 
I mean, that's a whole sermon, but there it is right there. <laughs> you build your life on the word, believing it word for word that what it says is true and it's good for you and it's best for you and we follow it. And now today we're going to talk about our identity because a lot of times we Christians can be confused about who we are and it leads us off track. It takes us away from the abundant life God has for us. It takes us away from being effective for Him or even being filled with peace and joy that He has for us. We, uh, we live in a time where the identity of people, uh, the identity of individuals is being eroded like never before. Things that we used to be able to hold on to, like I'm a man, is being eroded. You know, like a boy. Oh, I'm a boy. So we had uh, Anthony Latrogna over there. We have daughters. And Anthony, and I, I was digging a hole, and Anthony's five or six, um, and there's giant piles of dirt. Well, all my girls are walking around, and they're like, hey, dirt. Anthony walks up, he's like, dirt! You know, just run, I mean, so, but, but you know, we're different. And we used to be able to go, oh, boys are boys. Now, with our society, things like that are just being eroded. You can't claim an identity even in your gender or family. The way the family has broken down over the past decades has eroded the identity of kids. I mean, think about it. If I ask you who you are, one of the things you might tell me is your name, your last name, maybe your parents, how you were raised. But we are going through a period of what I would call identity crisis. Uh, you can blame it on many different things, but there was a, a study done by an insurance company from the year 2013 to 2016. Diagnoses of depression increased by 33% across the board. This is very recent history. When you look at teenagers, it increased 63%. Diagnosis of depression increased 63% in just those three years. Wow. And I think a large part comes to our identity, right? Look at social media. We try and put an identity out there and everybody else is faking it. So we got to fake it too to fit this identity. Or we come to church and we think we have to have a certain identity and fake it. And that's just tiring, isn't it? Here's an identity crisis. A period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or roles in society. Leave that up for just a minute. I want you to think about how you identify yourself. Maybe it's as a mother, as a father, as an engineer, as a grandparent. What if you lose those things? Parents, by the way, your kids are going to grow up someday. And if your identity is in them, something's going to, you're going to have an identity crisis. Maybe that's part of this whole midlife crisis thing. I'm getting to that age, almost 40, where you start looking back and you're like, have I accomplished enough yet? And some of you are a little bit older. Maybe you've gone through that too. And you look at others your age or, you know, you read about people 10 years younger that are now billionaires. Look at what they've accomplished. And so we identify ourselves maybe in some of those things. And we have this identity crisis. Uh, here's what sticks out to me in this definition, the word insecure. The word insecure. Aren't we as Americans quite insecure? Kids have so much difficulty nowadays being secure with divorce rates as they are and, and parents maybe even not getting married. Marriages that begin with prenuptial agreements going, I'll be with you until I'm not anymore. And we don't have security even in what we're supposed to have security in. The solution is that we view ourselves 
the way God sees us. Understanding who you are in Christ will change everything about how you view life. Everything. So turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Here's my goal today. Here's my desire. Is that you will walk out of here at least with the idea of thinking, I need to view myself the way God views me. And it's not just like this made up thing, pretend like you are something else. It's view yourself the way you actually are in Christ. Ephesians 1. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's not a large book. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, It's kind of like Romans light. Romans is a thick, deep book, and and Ephesians is pretty deep too, but it's condensed. And we're going to read right at the beginning where Paul starts talking about identity. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 13, through 14. says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ." as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Did anybody notice something repeated over and over? In Yes, exactly. In Him. In Christ. That's a key to Paul's point. He keeps saying that. In Christ. In Him. Your identity is in Him. And as you look through this, and we're going to break that down, there is so much about you in Him. But first... In Christ, this is our statement for the week. In Christ, I am a loved, accepted child of the Father. And who I am is who I am in Him. If you can internalize that phrase, you will experience security. In Christ, I am a loved, accepted child of the Father. And who I am is who I am in Him. If who I am is who I am in Him, then when things change around me, I'm still secure because I'm in Him. That's the foundation of my identity. You see this all the time with athletes, and their identity is in their sport, and then they get an injury. Now they don't know who they are anymore. I think a good example is, is uh, Tim Tebow, who, who his identity was in Christ. He was very vocal about that, and he tried the football thing, and you know, I'm a Bronco fan, so that was disappointing. But, but you know, and I, I've heard talks with him where he wrestled some with that. My identity was as this, this athlete, this quarterback, and I didn't, I didn't make it. What about you? What about our identity? Again, in Christ. But we have to start. Who is the one in Christ? Because 
We live in a country that right now, if you say Jesus is the only way and some people are going to heaven and many people are going to hell, that's not politically correct. People don't want to hear that, although that's the truth. Uh, Much of American Christianity has gone the way of universalism. The idea that everybody will be saved eventually no matter what. The Bible very, very clearly doesn't teach that. In order to believe that, you have to reject the authority of Scripture, but we can't. So we have to define who is in Him, because this is kind of the weight on me. My temptation is to speak as if everybody in here is a believer. But I'll tell you this, I know that's not true. And I know there are some of us who think we're believers and aren't, and I hope that even looking at these verses will kind of bring that to light of, is my foundation really in Jesus Christ? So who, who is it that is in Him? He defines it in verse 13. So skip down just a little bit because we need to know who he's talking to. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the person that is in him? It's the person that has heard the truth, the gospel. They have heard that Jesus is the son of God. They have heard that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that by placing their faith in Him, they will have eternal life. That is the person. Now, and they believe, they hear, and then they believe that message. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that He died on the cross and rose from the dead, then you are in Him. But then there's one other part. So you hear, that's not really up to you, kind of. I mean, God will send people to speak the message right now. You're hearing, but then you choose to believe it. But then God does something. He seals you. This is kind of a cool thing. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. So every believer is given the Holy Spirit of power. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit in the next couple of weeks. But every, every believer is given the Holy Spirit, which enables you to be free from sin, both the enslavement to it and the penalty of it, walking in it every day, free from sin, free from death, meaning you get eternal life. But it's also a seal, meaning a promise. It, it was kind of like when... A, a king would, would send a letter and he would put his seal on it, meaning this is authoritative, this is true. He puts his seal on us, meaning this belongs to me. The picture that came to my mind this morning was of a piece of luggage and you put your tag on it with your name and address and, and that's where it's going to go. It's kind of like that. When you place your faith in Jesus, he puts a tag on you, which is the Holy Spirit, and he's like, mine. But, you know, property of Jesus Christ, son or daughter of the king. That's who you are. And by the way, that's not one of those tags you could just rip off. It's stuck uh, forever. So this is the person who is in Christ. If you are here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Christ, then you are not in Christ. But his invitation is for you today to do that. And at the end of the service, we're going to be taking communion. That's a time for you to give your life over to Jesus. We'll have people available to pray in the back. But now let's look at our identity. For those of us who are in Christ, we can struggle with our identities still. Look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, Even as He, that is God, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Let me point out, when it says sons, don't let that distract you. We can say sons or daughters. That was just the way they wrote, the way they talked. That's talking about humanity in general. But here, what does he say about us? That we are chosen by God. 
You are chosen. How much of our identity, early on but also throughout, is who accepts us? I mean, I remember wrestling with that as a kid. Who are my friends? Who are the people that like me no matter what? Are they going to drop me? So we have our identity in that. Uh, for women, I think this can be even more as you get older and maybe, maybe get older and not get married. And there can be some of that wrapped up. Of, uh, I haven't been chosen and, and our identity can be wrapped up in that. But here, what I love about this is God is saying, you are chosen by God. Meaning he looked at you and said, I want you. Doesn't that, that gives me the chills. Because I know me way better than you know me. And God still looked at me with all the disgustingness in my heart. And he's like, you know what, Derek? I want you. Oh, that feels kind of good. That, you know what I mean? That's a rock I can hold on to. That God looks at me and goes, love you, like you, like you. You got some things to work on and we'll work on those. But I have chosen you. Now, we're going to keep moving through, but I want to touch on this because here we see chosen and we see predestined. And you may be thinking, you know, there's the, the age old debate. Did God choose me or did I choose God? And there's two extremes to that, that, that theology. The one extreme is that God chooses and you don't have a choice. You're a robot. So God chooses in his sovereignty, which he is sovereign. And that's what brings us security in his sovereignty. He looks at and he chooses some and doesn't choose others. And humanity has no, we have no choice. The other side is that God looks forward. In, that What this really means is that God looked forward in time and he saw who would choose him and so he chose them. Well, then who bears the weight of salvation in that situation? You do. You or I do. If God looked at me and said, I choose you because you chose me, well, now it's on me. That's a scary place to be. That's not what the Bible teaches. So there is, there is this tension here between God chose you in his sovereignty, absolutely, and what it says in these verses is that he chose you before the beginning of creation. He looked forward and he saw you, saw your name, named you, and chose you. But does that mean that our choices aren't real choices? Well, the rest of Ephesians, Paul seems to be writing saying, hey, you have a choice to live this way or this way, live this way. You have a choice to choose God or reject him, choose God. Scripture is full of commands and instructions. Do this, don't do that. Well, if our choices weren't real choices, then don't even include that. So here's the tension. God is completely sovereign and he chose you. But your choice is a real choice. Good luck with that. <laughs> no, really, that's one of those mysteries that we won't fully get to the end. But your choices are real choices, but God is completely sovereign. So if he's chosen you and sealed you in his sovereignty, you're not going to lose it because it's not up to you. It's not up to you. That brings security. I mean, when I was a kid, I experienced some of that insecurity of I'd go to camp and I'd give my life to Jesus. And then that year, I wouldn't read my Bible every day. And maybe I would do some bad things. And I'd go back to camp and go, ah, you know, give my life to Jesus again because I lost it this year because I was such a bad kid. Uh, Santa came, but I was still a bad kid. That's not, you know, we are secure. We are secure in Jesus. Romans 8 38 to 39 says this, love this. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Meaning not even you can separate you from the love of God if you're in him. Not even you can separate it. 
You know, Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. There's a lot of security in that. It's not about me being good. But it's not just that. Now we do have a different kind of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's on the screen, says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So our identity chosen in Christ makes us different. Look at verse 4 again. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, wow, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us that we would be holy and blameless. He didn't choose us to be just like we were before, but now we're going to heaven. He chose us to be holy. Holy means set apart for a purpose. That's what it means. Holy means you take something normal and you put it into great spiritual use. It was used in the Old Testament with with implements used for sacrifice, and they would just take a cup. Okay, here's just a cup, but now let's sanctify it, meaning let's make it holy, and now it's only used for this special purpose in worship. You and I are holy, set apart for a unique purpose. There's a phrase that I like and hate. It's, we are just sinners saved by grace. Here's why I like that, because we're just sinners saved by grace that I still struggle with sin and I'm okay and God saved me. And so it's up to him, not me. Here's why I hate that. Because that leads us to go, we're just sinners saved by grace and now we're still sinners. So now I'm just still gonna walk in all the sin like I used to, but I'm saved by grace. We are more than just sinners saved by grace. That doesn't bring us pride, but we are chosen, wholly set apart for a purpose for him to be blameless, blameless. Does that mean you'll be sinless? No, but hopefully you will sin less. It's called the sanctification process by which the Holy Spirit who has sealed you, lives in you, makes you more and more like Jesus, that we will be blameless. That is a process, but get here's what he's saying here too. We are viewed as blameless right now. When God looks at you, you know what he sees? He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. If you're in him, he looks at you and he sees his son. So we are blameless Again, there's this tension between what we see worked out in our lives and what is true about us. We must believe that this is true about us. Set aside for a purpose. Here's a a phrase that kept coming to mind as I was writing this. That we are not identified by our sin or our temptations, but by Christ. How many times have you met somebody or or in your own life you, you... Defying yourself, your identity with a sin or a temptation. You know, I think that this whole homosexual trend is right there. People want to jump at calling themselves gay or whatever it is. And now there's this wrestle. I don't know if you're paying attention with being a gay Christian. Or I have these temptations, and so I'm going to call myself gay, but I'm not going to act on it because I believe the Bible, so I'm a gay celibate Christian. Well, now you're identifying yourself with the temptation, with the sin, something contrary to God. But it's not just that. That's kind of the most apparent right now. Angry people. Well, I'm just an angry... God made me this way. I've met Christians that claim to be angry Christians and think God made them that way. Or whatever the sin would be. I'm just a, a lustful person. God just made me that way. Well, we're human. So yeah, we have these temptations, but we're not defined by our sin or by our temptations. Building a life worth living requires that we live in our new identity as the Jesus followers we are. We live in our new identity. 
It goes on. Well, look at this. I wanted to point to the struggle a little bit. This, this struggle of adopted. It says we are adopted in him. We're not just fixed, if that makes sense. It's okay to struggle. When I was a kid or high school, my youth pastor and his wife adopted two kids from Russia. The first one that they, they adopted, his name was Vitalik, is Vitalik. He was 11 years old. That's kind of old to be adopted. He was raised in an orphanage in Russia. In the orphanage in Russia, in that, those situations, you basically had to fight for what you got. When, when they got clothes, you fought for the clothes. You, you know, whatever clothes you could win and the foot you, you got. And so these kids learned to fight. They didn't have security. Uh, they didn't have security of, of love, of stuff, of food. And so when, when he was adopted and he moved into his house, he got a room. I mean, that was, I, it was really interesting seeing this kid. I taught most of his English for the first couple months, which was not smart. But, um, you know, he, he had his room and, and, and he'd go in and, and he had his space. And he wasn't used to having space, but he would, he would like find things and, and hoard them and hide them in his room because he, he wasn't secure that all this was going to stay. Uh, I mean, a vacuum. I don't know how many hours he spent just vacuuming his hair. He'd never seen a vacuum before. Uh, he went to school. He got suspended, I don't know, 10 times his first year by fighting. It was what he knew. He was struggling with his new identity with a family that would love him, that would provide for him. He was going to have all the food that he wanted. He didn't have to hoard it. He was going to have all the clothes. He didn't have to hide those. And so he struggled with that identity. And I think we can too as Christians, but we are adopted. We belong to Jesus. He calls us sons and daughters. And in verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. We have redemption. The idea of redemption is, is buying a slave. If you, you know, in that day and age, you could buy a slave, you could redeem them to set them free. And that's the picture is that we, without Christ, and this was you before Christ, this was all of us before Christ, we were enslaved to sin and death. And so it was like we were on the auction block and Jesus came through and purchased us with his blood. That's what redeemed means. You realize how valuable you are to God? That he would buy you with his blood? And with that purchase comes complete forgiveness of sins. Wiped out. That's what he says here in verse 7. As a child of God, you are forgiven. Forgiven. Listen to this. This is a quote from John MacArthur. It says, God knows how we were, how we now live, and how we will live the rest of our lives. He sees everything in stark, naked reality. Yet he says, I am satisfied with you because I am satisfied with my son to whom you belong. When I look at you, I see him and am pleased. This is why we need to find our identity in Jesus. We're not just sinners saved by grace. We're not just our job, our profession, our family situation. We are Christians. That's, I love that name. I mean, it gets muddied here, but, but Christian, you belong to Christ. You, you've given a new last name. Christian, forgiven, accepted, loved, secure. We are secure in Him. Now look at 7b. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
And it goes back to the beginning, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Because of who we are in Him, we get everything that belongs to Christ. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We get eternity. We get all the riches and the wealth. Everything that belongs to Him also belongs to us. But that's not it. Look at verse 9. Here's what else belongs to us. It says, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's what is super rad about being a Christian. We know the story. Everybody else out there is trying to find the meaning of life, aren't they? Or they're trying to make it up for themselves. You know it. Here's the meaning of life. God loves you. God created us to be in relationship with Him. And we are still here because He's not done yet. We are still here because there's others that need to know Him. There's the meaning of life. That's the mystery. The mystery of all of this is that God wants a relationship with us and He did everything to make it possible by coming as a man and dying for us. We know the mystery. Even the, amen, yes. Even the Jews before, they looked forward to the Messiah coming. And they had glimpses, and even the angels before had ideas, but they didn't even know. We are so blessed now after the cross to know these mysteries. And guess what? Jesus is coming back. And you know when? I don't know. <laughs> Any day. We know that. And we know that when he comes, he's going to judge and it's all going to work out right. Does that give you some security? It does me. It does me. So I can lose my job. I can lose whatever it is because my security is in him. I am in him. I can struggle with sin. Surprise. And my identity is still in him. I can repent, turn it, and he'll forgive me again. I don't have to wallow in that guilt. I can come back to Him. I can fail, earthly speaking, in everything. But as long as I'm faithfully pursuing Him, who cares? Because <laughs> I'm in Him. As a child of God, you are blessed and guaranteed eternal riches. You want proof this is all true? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Back to verses 13 and 14. You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Everything we are is who we are in Christ. This is foundational for building a life worth living because we're secure in that. So what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to be a cop? Am I going to be an engineer? Am I going to be a, a farrier or a business owner? Well, all these things, those are all great things. <laughs> but below all of that, I am a Christian. Am I going to be a pastor? Just like all of that, but underneath all of that first, I am Jesus's. I am in him. And so I'm going to be his while being a student at Eagle Valley Middle School. I, I, I am going to be his while I do my job over here. That defines me first and foremost. There's a story that I'm going to read to you. I think it illustrates this point of what we get when we are in Christ. A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire these great works of art. 
When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous, and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door which, with a large package in his hands. He said, sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out the package. He says, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would want you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son, painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of the son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir. I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of his other great works he had collected. The man died later. There was to be a great auction for his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous painting. Skip that one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100. $200. Another voice shouted angrily, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still, the auctioneer continued, The sun, the sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the back of the room. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have $10. Who will bid $20? Give it to him for $10. let us see the masters. $10 is the bid. Won't someone bid $20? The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gavel, going once, going twice, sold for $10. The man sitting on the second row shouted, now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. and He said, I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the other paintings? I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. God gave his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cruel cross. Much like the auctioneer, his message today is the sun, the sun. Who will take the sun? Because you see, whoever takes the sun gets everything. Do you have your identity in the sun? If you get the sun, you get everything. As we close, we're going to take communion. Alex is going to lead us and we're going to worship. But if you don't have the sun, do it today. Do not let another day go by. Visit one of our prayer people in the back.
and pray with them. If you're not comfortable with that, then pull out the card that you got when you came in, fill out your information, and just put on it, I want the sun. Fold it up and put it on the box on your way out, and I'll get a hold of you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> you are the sun. And in you, we get everything. We don't deserve it. I feel like that poor gardener who has nothing to give. But yet you gave everything for your glory, in your goodwill, in your love. We thank you. All we can do is worship and now give ourselves completely back to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move us this morning. If anybody in here needs to turn to you for the first time, let this be the day of salvation and the beginning of a great adventure with you to build a life, a life worth living, the abundant life that you have for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.